0: Welcome back to another episode of the Better Than I Found It podcast. I'm Mike McGraw, the men's golf coach at Baylor and your host. Today's guest on Better Than I Found It is Ohio State women's golf coach, Lisa Strom. Lisa talks about her junior career and all the individuals who greatly influenced her progress along the way. She talks about life in college She talks about playing the LPGA Tour, but in the interview, she describes being recruited by and playing for legendary Ohio State coach, Therese Hessian. She also mentions how the relationship has continued to develop through the years. Lisa highlights her time at Texas State and Kent State and how both of these coaching experiences molded her into the coach she is today. Lisa's transformational approach to coaching and mentoring student athletes is inspiring and it sheds light on why she has been so successful thus far. Let's get right to that interview. My guest today on Better Than I Found It is newly hired Ohio State women's golf coach Lisa Strom. Lisa, welcome, and hey, congratulations on your new position. Well,
1: thanks, Coach McGraw. I mean, it's you know, it's an honor to be on this podcast with you. I know it's it's been a great um, work that you've created uh, along with Mikkel, and I just—it's been awesome for you to keep k- giving back to college golf. I think it's been a great thing for coaches
0: to learn from. So I, I'm just honored to be on here. Well, thank you. Um, you know, I, I don't pick people for the podcast uh, that I don't think will add value. So I'm really excited to hear what you have to say today to some of the questions I have, and probably some things you're going to mention that I mean I haven't even thought about. I can't wait to hear that too. But you and I are both in about pretty much the same place. We've been in this recruiting whirlwind for about a little over a month now. Exciting about it because, you know, we didn't get to recruit for the longest time. So how's that been for you the last month and a half?
1: Yeah, it is exciting. I'm actually over in Pennsylvania right now at staying at my mom's in between a couple of events and just decided it's, it's easier than going back and forth to Columbus. So yeah, certainly awesome to see the young women competing again uh, in person, not just watching scores online and, you know, really being able to to see their interactions with moms and dads and, and how they interact with their group. So <clears throat> it's just been a great, um, it's great to be back on the road and, you know, everything yeah, I between the U S girls with- junior and, and
0: wherever we've been, it's just been yeah, awesome. I, I just got back from the U S junior last night and, and, you know, every tournament I go to, and I've been in Texas a bunch, but every tournament I go to, it's like coaches have a smile on their face. Parents are thrilled that their kids are being evaluated in person. And honestly, the players look like they're really excited to be playing in front of coaches again.
1: Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. We get a lot of those parents coming up. I know we can't talk, but
0: I know we can't talk, but so it's <laughs> they, they not us always, being rude. <laughs> they always try to take it past a casual greeting, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> they do a casual
1: yeah. greeting. Yep.
0: <laughs> but anyway, so uh, anyway, that's great, but I'm really excited for you. You're at a, um, um, it has to be sort of a New York Yankees job, if you will, if that makes sense, it's something you've always dreamed of. And we're going to get to that in a minute, but what I really like to do with a lot of coaches and most of them actually is Kind of go back to how you got in the game, who got you started, who had the biggest influence on your junior career, and then just take it forward from there. So let me know, Lisa.
1: Yeah, you know, I I grew up in South Dakota. I was born in Aberdeen, South Dakota. So many years ago, um, you know, we we do have golf courses there. A lot of people don't think that South Dakota (laughs) is known for its golf. So um, not a Mecca of, of sorts, but. You know, I certainly got my start in the game with my family there. My dad, my mom both played. Uh, my dad introduced my mom to the game when they met. Uh, she came over from Ireland back in 1968. <clears throat> Within the last couple weeks, actually became a naturalized citizen. Oh, so it's great. been pretty exciting for our family. Yeah. Um, but if I take it back to when I was about 10 years old and playing uh, junior golf in South Dakota, you know, you're playing alongside the boys. You're playing alongside anybody who you can play with at that point. And um, started getting a little bit better and a little bit better and played on the high school team as an eighth grader. So you know, just again, just sheer numbers. Um, I was good compared to rel- relatively what was around me. Uh, we moved out to Pennsylvania when I was in high school, kind of near the end of my freshman year and uh got to know some kids, played some summer golf at that point. And then leading into my sophomore year of high school here was the first uh, girl on the boys golf team. So kind of turned it into a co-ed team and wasn't the, uh you know, start that I had anticipated. Came home, balling my eyes out, learning that <laughs> I had to play from the the men's quote men's team, uh, team grounds during our, our qualifier. And, and my coach pulled me aside after <clears throat> a couple, a couple of rounds of nine holes. He was like, Lisa, you're not going to get cut from the team. Just so you know that, you know, like you're going to go automatically to district. So he's like, I, you're going to stay on the team. And that kind of settled me down a little bit thinking, Oh, okay. Um, you know, that led to a great interaction though. The guys started to learn like, wow, she can really hang with us. Um, you know, I started to play better, and better, work my way up. The lineup was our number one, uh, player, I don't know, four or five weeks into it. And, um, you know, started getting some, uh, some interest from some colleges and stuff like that. But, you know, my junior career wasn't uh, some AJG all Amer- AJGA All-American by any means. Um, I remember getting invited to the Betsy Rawls down at DuPont Country Club and uh, got this invite in the mail and showed my mom and dad, and this is great. And then it had an entry fee listed. And my mom was like, well, I thought you got invited, you know, like, what, does that, what do you mean? <laughs> but, you know, they, they were always willing to, to do what they needed to do. And I had you know, super support system from them, never pushing me though. You know, it was always a, a constant, you know, my dad would just kind of say like, Hey, you know, what are you going to do today? It was never a, a regimented practice schedule from parents. You know, it was very much dictated on how much I wanted to put into it. And I, I learned the value of that, you know, and, and the value of that hard work. So my dad was a pretty good golfer himself. So we always enjoyed playing and family vacations kind of revolved around putting our golf clubs in the, uh, in the car topper at the top and traveling along down the highway.
0: So. I've got great memories growing up playing golf. When you described that being the first girl to ever compete on the boys' team, my twin sister Patty did the same thing. Yeah. And we played matches yeah. where you would play our five men to play their five men. And you get a point, right? Well, uh <laughs> I've never seen boys cry after a round of golf, but when she beat a boy in a match, it, it made amazing. boys cry. Oh my goodness, he'd cry. Oh, yeah. uh, it was not easy, but but she was accepted. And, and so I'm, cert- I'm certain you were, too, once they realized you were a good player, right?
1: Yeah. And, you know, I think there was one match in particular we played against, I went to Lansdale Catholic, and I, w- I played against the, um, the local uh, public school in the area, North Penn High School. And I remember being over there, Pinecrest, I mean, stand up on those tee boxes and the chirping going on left and right of the tee box, like, who's this girl? Who's this redhead? Who's this? And, um, <clears throat> but I'd already learned to kind of deal with it played our match we got done we played 12 hole matches so we played a point for the first six point for the second six and a point for the overall and it was just kind of daylight save you know the the time frame that we had after school and stuff like that and uh, got done and I remember uh coach Diakili he was our Spanish teacher he said to me uh, yeah how'd you do out there and he didn't have really high expectations and I said well I won three points (laughs) and he was like what I said yeah I won three points he's like whoa So I think, you know, it was all of a sudden you earn that respect. And I've always kind of been a a firm believer in kind of letting, you know, your golf clubs do the talking for you and not really um, trash talking too much. It's more about, Hey, let's just show you what I can do. So um, lots of lessons learned there in that high school time though. And and certainly um, it's, it's, you know, it's built me into that type of person I am today too.
0: You know, you said you didn't have an AJGA all American, (laughs) you know, resume, but, but you did have a good enough resume to get noticed by, Therese Hessian at Ohio State. So describe the recruiting process. How did you get there? I mean, I know it wasn't quite as detailed as recruiting is nowadays, but but it, I mean, that must have been an exciting time to have an Ohio State looking at you.
1: Yeah, it's, um, you know, there's a couple schools that were looking at me, Penn State included, and, you know, I took a couple visits and did some, you know, unofficial visits, and, and when I got to Ohio State, you know, after getting some letters, like actual letters in the mail, and Back then, there was no internet. I think that's hard for some kids to believe right now, like how you guys tracked scores and all that stuff was unbelievable. Um, but you did develop a good relationship over telephone calls and visits and, you know, these, these letters that go back and forth. I mean, the correspondence was was key to developing it. So, I mean, I got on campus there and, and with Teresa's background of having played on tour and, you know, um, it, the the alumni base at Ohio state, the facilities that they had at the time, to me, it was just such a great fit. It wasn't too far from home, but it was far enough that you had to plan a visit and you had to make sure you you know, knew when mom and dad were coming or you were going to be going home, but you know, just um, everything seemed to fit. She was a Midwest person herself. She'd grown up in Indianapolis and turned herself into an LPGA tour player. And I thought, well, you know, I have dreams of that and, and that matched what I kind of wanted to do with my career. So um my mom and dad, I mean, they, they hit it off with her too. And, and my mom has always said that, you know, she knew I was going to be well taken care of. And that was a huge part of it.
0: That, that's a great story. You know, I've, I've always had a lot of respect for Therese and I've known her for as long as I've been in coaching. And, um, uh, I, I just really respect what she did. I can see how she might inspire you to want to come to Ohio state, but you got there, you're a student athlete. Now you're playing for the the lady who recruited you. And so, is there anything that stands out about your time at Ohio State? I know you had some success. You know, you you played pretty well. You played all four years, correct?
1: Yeah, I actually took the full five years. I redshirted my first year. I wasn't really that good. You know, I, it's kind of funny. Back then, you could have that time as your freshman year. The size of the rosters were bigger, I think. And, you know, I could kind of um, take some time to develop. She actually had to dive in and really help me with my game. I was, you know, I don't want to say self-taught. My dad definitely um, helped me along the way with my golf career. I didn't really have a lot of formal lessons, though. And so I needed that year to, to realize like, hey, I need to, to get better in order to get in the lineup or even have a chance. So um, my freshman year was a lot of learning of that, a lot of frustration. But um, when she sat me down and said, look, we're not going to have you play in the Lady Buckeye, I knew that it was in my best interest to listen to her advice and understand that she knew what she was doing. Um, if I can rewind just a, a smidge back to kind of the summer before my freshman year, we got a phone call from Therese, all the players, and she was actually going to be heading to Tennessee. And she oh, was wow. going to be uh, taking a new job. And, and a lot of us were up in arms about it because we had committed to that university. And, and a lot of people say, make sure you look at a university as a whole, not just for the coaching staff, but man, when you make a connection with a coach and, and you get that news that she might be leaving, it's really tough. And um, as I, as I well know now, and uh, you know, I think the, the overwhelming response though, from the players shows what she means to Ohio state, you know, they reached out to Andy Geiger at the time he was the AD and we had parents writing letters, we had parents calling his his office line um, and they made it happen. They, they asked her, what's it gonna take to keep you here? And she had a very short list. It was like, um, I need a computer. Uh, <laughs> I need an assistant coach. And I, I don't even know if it really included much more than those two things. And and she was closer to her mom as well. So, you know, that kept her closer to Indianapolis. But, you know, when, when you start to see like how many people truly respect Therese, and in my opinion, probably one of the all-time greats in women's college golf and what she's done for the game in general. Um, it just shows you that I, I'm so grateful. She she decided to stay and, and lucky to have played for for those full five years. And and I did. I developed, I, I mean, it, it, you know, I know we kind of talked a little bit earlier too, but I, after my sophomore year, I had played one tournament in college golf. I, I qualified for spring break. Great one to qualify for. Got mm-hmm. to go to Hawaii. That's
0: <laughs> so good. that was
1: awesome. But you know, after two years of college golf, I was looking at myself in the mirror going, man, this isn't the experience I planned on having. You know, I wanted to play golf. I wanted to be traveling. I wanted to, to be out on the road. And I'm hearing all these girls coming back from the tournaments and how great it was. And they got to do this. And so I, I, after the summer of my sophomore year, went up and stayed with a friend of mine in Massachusetts who worked at a golf school up there. And it wasn't for me to get golf lessons and work, but it was for me to have time and devoted time to, to playing the game and doing a lot of practice in between. I had a big sit down with my mom and dad at that point. And I, had been working at a golf course, but it ate up a lot of my time that I could devote to the game. And, um, that's at following that summer after playing some high level amateur events and doing a little bit better and doing a little bit better, I got back to qualifying. We have a big qualifier every fall, you know, September, here we come. And it's usually seven, eight rounds of golf and it's a grind, but, um, the cream rises to the, to the top and, and you start to play, you start to separate yourself and I won the qualifier, Teresa. I remember putting her arm around my shoulders like, what'd you do all summer? Cause back again, <laughs> we weren't connecting all the time as much right. as, you know, we do now with our kids. And I said, coach, man, I just worked my tail off. I mean, there's hard work. And that, I think that's sometimes forgotten in, in a lot of our development of players and it just takes time. And so for me to push that back two years of, you know, being frustrated, but realizing like it's on me. And that was a big eye opener for me of, of how am I going to get better? I got to do the work. I can't have a parent that wants it. I can't have a coach that wants it. Like I need to want it and I need to want to go get it.
0: I love that story. We had a player at Oklahoma State, Zach Robinson, who didn't play his freshman year and he was upset about it, but he stated Stillwater worked at the golf course. In those days you couldn't use the facility in the summer and he worked at the golf course on the maintenance crew in order to practice and be in front of us. And so he made a sacrifice that summer and he was an All-American the next year. So I, I, I love it when Hard work sort of leads to a to a a, the fruition of you know the success like that. So that that's and and Mike, you
1: say that right there. Sacrifice, right? Like it is, and it Mm -hmm. has to be. And and if something means something to you, like if it means that much to you, there is sacrifice involved. You know, there are those. um, I know Nick Saban talks about it a little bit of like the choices actually become easier the better you get. You know, and if you really do want to be at the highest level, they do come easier, but. Um, at that time, you know, as a sophomore, I just wanted to travel. I, I had to give up some things, you know, and I had to not go maybe on a, a summer trip with some friends or whatever whatever else I was going to do. I don't even know now, you know, but I'm so glad I, I had that conversation. Sometimes those hard conversations with moms and dads of, hey, this is what I think I need to do. They're really important mm-hmm. and they've led me to, you know, to great things. I, I didn't miss a trip after that, coming back, traveled every event
0: for my last three years and and you know, all won the conference championship one of those years. And you even won the regional as a senior. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, at Scarlet on my home golf course with a haircut that I will never go back to. But yes, um, <laughs> certainly certainly special week. I, I made a hole-in-one, you know, a couple of memories that do stand out, a hole-in-one on on 13 Scarlett, um, my senior year, Lady Buckeye, our home tournament, final round. And a teammate of mine happened to be taking pictures. She was redshirting that year, and she had a, a photography class that she was doing. So I've got pictures to kind of commemorate that. Therese's you know, hands going up in the air and it's, it's really cool. I mean, it's, it's just, um, my time there and it, I, I remind young players of this a lot. You know, you, there's certain memories that pop out real quick, but man, when you're in the midst of it, um, and you're struggling and you're trying to get through some situations, it really, uh, it seems like it's never going to end, but man, it, it, it goes fast. So hanging on to those memories are great.
0: Definitely goes fast. But you know, when you get to the end of that journey, the college golf journey that, hopefully everybody gets an opportunity to play four or five years in your case five uh, you were going to chase that dream you had talked about since you were a little girl so talk to me about playing the LPGA tour which honestly it doesn't even matter what success you had the fact that you played the LPGA tour is a, is a wonderful thing especially for a girl who couldn't make the golf team as a freshman yeah. So talk about that your LPGA experience
1: yeah you know i a couple people during my kind of tail end of my college career, Diane Daly, one of them that uh, put her arms around me and my shoulder. Um, we were at the the tournament in PV, probably the one you were flying home from with your, with your players on that jet with those <laughs> sandwiches. But um, she came up to me in the, in the uh, parking lot that week. And we had been paired with Wake Forest at the time. And she's like, you know, she's like, Lisa, you with her little sweet tea accent, Lisa, you got what it takes to play, play on the tour. And I said, "Wow, I mean, like coach." daily has been telling me this okay tree started kind of you know talking to me more and more about it and you know, i wanted to be a pediatrician like I, got, I went to school originally as a pre-med kind of major and i was thinking about i wanted to help people i wanted to help, I, want, I love being around kids and so i you know diverted that into exercise science because pre-med is pretty tough when you're a college athlete and so you know i, I started trying to start to believe it a little bit more as people said it to me and um you know, started talking to my mom and dad about what Q school meant and what all this stuff was gonna be and the investment in money and, and all that. But I had some great people around me that, that helped make that, you know, a reality and got to go to Q school, made it to finals my first time through. And, you know, I think there's a big thing though, when you start believing in what you're doing and you have people around you that believe in what you're doing, um, you start playing and you start kind of owning it. And, and I got out there, I did have a 10 year career playing professional golf. Um, I'm happy to report that I did not leave in debt. <laughs> so that's a huge thing. But, you know, I think the time spent traveling around the world to get to see some places, the game we play is just unbelievable. And and I've been able to, to play in South Africa. There's one continent I haven't visited yet, which is Australia. Um, but that's on the list. And, you know, I just, I, I'm just grateful for those opportunities, the people that I've met that have helped my career at that time, um, continue. There was certain times where I thought I'd have to hang it up a little sooner. Um, but I kind of kept getting through Q School and kept getting, you know, that experience back out on tour. I finished 13th one, you know, one time at the Navistar down in Alabama. And that was that was awesome. But, it, you know, I've had some state open wins. I've had some uh, it was just like a West Coast ladies tour that folded the, the day after I won a tournament. I had gotten a check into the bank for like thirteen thousand dollars, like the biggest check I ever made. <laughs> And then all of a sudden the news kind of came out that they were folding, but man, that cash, that, that check cleared and I had the cash in the bank. So, um, you know, those are the stories you don't really hear about today, right? Like those things aren't happening, but the grind is real. Um, professional golf is not easy. Um, there's so much information out there now that the, the, uh, young people have access to, and I think it helps them develop at a quicker pace, but, uh, there's something to be said though, for figuring it out yourself sometimes and, and really. To dive in but I remember a conversation I had with my dad one time I was at Q school in Palm Springs and I called him one night because the three-hour time change was a little later here and we'd gotten off the golf course and I didn't have a great day and I was like dad you know I've been thinking about this do I have to call you like after every round of golf and I was nervous to ask him this you know because I felt like whoa what if he says like yeah I still expect a phone call he's like Lisa we have this internet thing now we can do scoring on there I was like okay He's like, do you think your brother calls me like after he gives a lesson? You know, because he had gotten into the golf business as well. And I was like, Yeah, okay, good. I felt I just felt like a sense of relief that they didn't have to report back. Like, this was my career, not a junior golfer telling mom and dad how things went that day. I think that was a, a good turning point for us.
0: Well, two things occur to me the reason you still love the game of golf, kind of the way. The reason I do. My my parents, my dad was a club professional. He didn't force me to play. Your parents only encouraged you. They didn't force you to play. And your dad liberated you there where he said, No, of course you don't have to call me every day. You just call when you want. You know, that that's pretty important. That must have freed you up a lot. Totally. Totally. And it
1: just, you know, made you realize like what you what you do is is one thing, but who you are is a total another thing. And, and the parents and the, the love and support I had from my mom and dad was uh, just instrumental in, in allowing me to
0: be who I was and
1: travel and do that without the uh the, you know an extra burden or pressure for sure. Yeah.
0: that's wonderful well okay the <coughs> career did have to come to an end at some point and and you said you weren't in debt that's amazing because so many people come out of that experience in debt but um uh, i know i i know there was probably a moment when you decided you wanted to coach so i want you to go back if you could to that very moment and tell me what that felt like what it uh, feelings it's hard to describe feelings. Uh, what was going through your head during the moment you said I got a coach? So it was, you know, kind of the winter time of
1: 2010 going into 2011. And the previous assistant coach was a teammate of mine, Amy Langhouse, now Amy Miller. And she had kind of put the bug in my ear a little bit. Called me, she had gotten married, she called me and said, you know, hey, we're trying to have a family. I think I'm going to get out of coaching. My husband's in coaching. He was a soccer coach at the time and She's like, would you have any interest? Therese loves to have a former player as her assistant coach. So I thought, well, maybe, right? Like our tour was, I mean, seven events, like in the United States, like the full, you know, full field events was nothing. Every time you teed it up, you felt like it was a major. You had to make the cut. You had to make some money because you only had seven of them to get into. Everything else was Monday qualifying. So, yeah, I mean, that was probably the first part of it. I remember that phone call. Um, and it kind of, when we hung up, I kind of went, huh, college coaching. So then fast forward to February of 2011, I was out at PV. I was doing a pro-am and um, I had corresponded or I don't even know if it was texting at that point, maybe called Therese a couple of times though. She's like, well, you know, if you can come out to PV, love to see you out there. So Tell people PV
0: is pa- Palos Verdes. Palos
1: Verdes. Yeah. <laughs> so the Northrop Grumman the regional challenge was going on. So I went out there one day to watch the team and walked around with Therese and we were, uh, we were in 12 rough. So you talk about, can I remember the moment, right? She looked at me and she goes, How do you know you're done playing? And I looked at her and I said, because there's nothing left for me to play in. Like I'm done, right? Like I, I don't want to go back to at the time, the, the futures tour, Symmetric Tour now. I, I don't want to go grind it out there anymore. Um I think there's something bigger that I can do. And and my love for the game is still there. I'm not leaving because of injury, I'm not you know, being forced out. Uh, but my level of play and, and the events I could get into was just that was kind of a little bit pigeonholing. So we started talking. We started going through the process of that, that hiring um, process, the interview process. She had some great candidates and brought me into campus again and for the second time had me on, you know, on campus as a visit. And um, I remember being at a Symmetra Tour event. We we're getting started late March and uh, her phone call came in that evening. We we're getting ready to, to start the first round of that event. And she said, Strongly, I just, you know, I, I've gotten to go ahead to, to make the offer to you. So it's the second time now, right? Like, here we are. I'm like, man, coach, I can't wait to get started. I didn't even ask uh-huh. her how much it paid. I didn't even ask her what the benefits were. I had no idea. I should have asked that. But um, I knew she'd take care of me, you know. And so I said, well, can I, can I finish out and play this final event? She's like, absolutely. So we decided on meeting the team in, in Georgia. April 1st was my first college coaching experience. So I'm like, I was on my on my toes that day watching what what kind of jokes might be played. But um, yeah, what a great experience to just kind of get back into, into college coaching along someone that I've admired.
0: I would say this, the way you were treated by Therese and the way she conducted herself and the way that she treated all your teammates had to have had some influence on it because you you saw the way she loved and cared for people.
1: Well, yeah. And, and to this day that that's a huge influence on me as my coaching career has evolved, but you know, you're always taking care of your players and and whether that's, you know, a phone call late at night or whatever that is. um, I know I can always count on her. I I just, I know that um, she's got the best interest of those around her, whether it's, whether it's a superintendent at Ohio state or whether it's a a recruit that she's talking on the phone, there's um, there's no doubt that her heart's in the right place. She leads with that heart. um, And, and, and her faith. And, um, it's just been a huge influence, no doubt on every player that's come through that program.
0: Kind of reminds you as, as you are heading into this head coaching position at your, at your alma mater, how important that is. It's, yeah. it's hugely important, but so she hires you in 2011 to be her assistant. You had a pretty long stint as an assistant, like I'm five years, right at five, correct?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I finished out that, that spring with them and then rolled right into the fall and got going. And yeah, we had a great run. Um, we weren't that good when I got there. Um, we had, we had some work to do, but we got some really good kids in there and went on some good runs. And, and um, you know, again, though, it became interesting because I thought I was getting into coaching to help young women get better at golf. And I soon learned that uh, that's probably the, the smallest percentage of your time spent. And really, it, it really evolves around or revolves around, excuse me, the, uh, the idea that, they're in front of you for a reason, and these times where they're 18 to 22 years old and you're coaching them, um, kind of shapes them, gets them ready for life beyond college athletics. And so I sat there, in a really, um, you know, we won our our Lady Buckeyes, I think, spring of 2012, and I ca- 12 or 13. Uh, I don't have the memory like you do, but hmm. I could go back and figure out what year that was. I sat on my couch in my apartment, though. And I thought, man, we just won this tournament. This is awesome, right? We hadn't really won much. I'm like, man, I couldn't feel more empty about what we just did. So I sat there and I thought, man, why, you know, why is this in my gut? Why, why does this feel so unfulfilling? And I, it started to dawn on me a bit that we were just chasing a win. We we're just chasing a win, and we finally caught it, and it was like not that big a deal. And so um, through social media and the power of, of all that networking, I met a guy named Joshua Medcalf. And he had a big influence on my development as a coach at the time. Um, Started reading, started pouring into myself, started journaling more and more. Um, You know, and I'm a big believer in in your value comes from who you are, not what you do. But I had to reaffirm that with myself before I could really even lead those young women to believe it in themselves. Um, But they started seeing it. They started seeing a shift in my my mindset as a coach. They started seeing how uh, things were a little different. Things weren't so on edge about what they were doing on the golf course. It was, it was much more holistic approach. They started asking me what I was reading on an airplane. Hey coach, what book do you think I should read next? And you know, then you start to realize, wow, okay, now I'm connected. Now I've really made, made um, the connection. And now you can learn to push them. They start to trust you. Then you can learn to push them a little bit. But I think when I came in, I was like a bull in a China shop and trees did sit me down. There's no doubt. She sat me down and said, one of my, uh, kind of a update or a progress, you know, mid-year progress report, she was like, listen, you can't talk to every kid the same way. And, and Amy, who was, you know, influential as a teammate of mine and a captain on the team when I played, she even said, she's like, they don't need two head coaches. You know, you need to be that go-between, and, and I'm sure Mikhail is that for you, but you need to be that person they can kind of come to when they've got problems they don't want to go to to Terese with. So I, I had to learn that though, and, and Therese was very patient in that process. I mean, um, but, you know, between learning all that about myself, um, we developed a great strong connection and a great working relationship. You know, there's a, a shift there, right? Like I played for her, so now I was no longer a player as a colleague with her. So we had to learn those boundaries and, with, with respect and love um, and understand, you know, she can trust me and making decisions. So, yeah, so, you know, I, I point back to a lot of that, what I went through and that growth as a coach, though, did certainly happen because of success we had, I had to learn. Wow, it's not really about a trophy. It's about the the fingerprints on it, and and what we do working towards it, and um, and we can begin again. We always can begin again.
0: You know, I believe that sort of instinctively my whole career, but I lost it when expectations weighed on me, or when results mattered hugely. But and people can give lip service to what you just said. That's really easy to do. That just just say the words you just said. And everybody thinks, oh, she's got great perspective. And then dive right back into that yeah, results, results, results. And so every young coach I talk to, that's the first bit of advice I get. When they ask for advice, I'm, I'm like an open water faucet. I just start talking. And it's the main reason is because I want them to, I think experiences are important and you learn, but you can short circuit some of these learning curves. They don't all have to be painful for a long, long time. Sounds like to me, Therese did the same with you. Maybe you are trying a little too hard at the beginning. Who knows? Well, yeah. I mean, I just thought like, why don't you want to work hard? <laughs> you know, I'm looking at
1: a couple student athletes that had way more talent than I ever did. They had it more in their thumb more than I had on all 10 fingers. And I just didn't understand. Like, what do you mean you don't want to go play? on? You could go play on tour tomorrow if you got your act together and worked hard. So it was frustrating. Then I realized that's not making it more fun for them to come out and work hard. You know, it's a lot more fun when we can talk about other things and what might be going on in their world and connecting on what makes it fun for them to be around the game. Or, you know, I think peeling those those layers back a little bit of maybe why they do fear success or why they do fear failure. Maybe what mom and dad, you know, were like when they were younger. I think I, I soon realized just the value of having connection and, and conversation um, because sometimes they're never really, their opinion, their opinion's not always valued. You know, they're always often told what to do and time to do it and they have to go and be and be here and we're going to this tournament and i think um giving kind of the that a bit of um leniency of hey you got to make decisions and you got to know you got to know it you know like you got to own it um but if you don't if you don't connect with your student athletes it's really hard to to push them to want to be better
0: uh, john smith is the wrestling coach at oklahoma state and he was a six-time world champion and i remember i I just went to pick his brain occasionally and one of the things he told me really early on um when I was still an assistant coach but he told me he said I've learned that it's not about me anymore it's about them and so the first interaction I had with any kid on any given day the very first one has nothing to do with our sport how's your mom doing Uh, I heard about this about your brother or whatever just something about their lives and I always thought I hate it when I forget that because when a kid walks in and I say did you get that done you know it's like wait a second coach I'm a human being here do, do you kind of go with a little bit along those lines
1: yeah no doubt i had to learn it though right yep. and like you said there's you know let's let's shorten that curve for younger coaches as they enter this profession because it is it's high stakes it's you know high pressure high you know people are getting paid more to do what we do and certainly athletic directors are seeing that and seeing that value but i think um if if you put first things first second things are not suppressed but increased and that's cs lewis and and that is something that you know i learned kind of during that transformational time for me where Um, man, as soon as I started putting the hearts of our student athletes ahead of everything else, we started winning. And and that was fun. And I'm not to say that, you know, we're less competitive, right? Like, but when you put those people ahead of everything else, um, it's amazing what can start to happen. And we went on to win three Big Ten championships in a row. You know, we were co champions, but we do that in the Big Ten, we don't play it off, which I think, you know, some people really laugh at. But, um, you know, to, to leave there on that note of, of, having those three championships and, and know I made a a difference, but knew we were doing it the right way that made it all the more worthwhile because I I knew it was more about the growth that we were seeing in those kids.
0: That's wonderful. I'm glad you learned that at a younger age, maybe than I did, even though I, I think as a young high school coach, I knew all this instinctively, but it was just inside me. It, It took, having great success at the collegiate level to screw that up for me. (laughs) That was my fault. But uh no, next stop San Marcos, Texas. And that's where I actually met you. And we were I was in an airport coming back from a tournament and I see this group of maybe six women coaches.
1: It was after the convention actually in Vegas.
0: That's exactly where it was. And I, I came over and we said tagged hello. you down. We we dragged you right over to our little gate, didn't we? <laughs> I know you did. You did. And by the way, I, I had five sisters. So I learned when when five girls say you're going to do this, you just do it. So uh, we sat down and I talked and I told you guys, you girls, this funny story about my women's coaching experience. And I wrote about it later <laughs> in a book I wrote. Uh, I think you guys got a kick out of that one. That's where I met you.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, coach McGraw, right? Like you've been talking about a lot in my career and good, good friends with Donnie Dar. So, you know, I think, um, I had heard a lot of McGraw stories, but to get to spend a little bit of time with you kind of on en route back, probably you were heading back to Texas, but, um, you know, I think, you know, at the end of the day, we've, we've all got those stories. It's really just special that you were able to, to write those into a book and and we are all able to laugh because of it. Um, and get some good ideas too man there's some there's some really good ideas for qualifying in there we had players caddy for other players and flop you know flip-flop at the turn and man that you learn a lot about kids that way um so certainly read and took your advice i think there's something i'm a big reader but there's something about reading and actually applying what you read i think a lot of people and a lot of young coaches right i read i read i read, I read. but do you do you let it digest do you let it sink in of like hey this works for me right hey i'm gonna give this a try um, instead of just getting through and rifling through 50 books in a year. Um, but yeah, going down to, to San Marcos, as they say, San Marvellous down there. Um, I remember pulling into the back of the, uh, I'd become a head coach, right? Like they took a chance on me to make me a head coach and uh, pulled into the back of the athletics offices. And there's a river that runs right through campus in, in at Texas State. And uh, I saw these yellow tubes overflowing from the back of a trailer that was being, you know, pulled by a truck. And I thought to myself, where the heck am I? <laughs> what have I done? What head coaching job did I just take? So you could come out at lunchtime and you'd see people floating by on the river, but you know, what a great experience. I, I, you know, I think Teresa and I, at that time um, it was, it was time. It was time for me to spread my wings and kind of, you know, leave the nest as you will. And, and I knew I needed that experience. If I was ever going to have a chance to come back, I spoke with Gene Smith. Um, and I, I tell this story to a lot of young coaches. I spoke right, right with Gene Smith, the athletic director at Ohio State. I said, about 15 minute conversation in his office one day. I said, Gene, what do I need to do? You know, my dad passed away in April of 2016. He'd be the person I would have called to kind of say, hey, talk me through this. What do you think? And Gene's like, Lisa, you know, sometimes in order to have a chance to come back, you got to leave. And so I took this job and, and really thought, you know, hey, let's make this program better. Let's uh, keep getting it, you know, rising up. And um, we did, you know, Jenny was my assistant there and we did a great job there. We had some, some great success. It took a little while, you know, coaching, any coaching change um, is different and, and exciting for, for people and scary for others. Um, but, you know, again, the connection and, and remembering people are, are people is a huge part of it. So when I got down there and, and, you know, your first head coaching job, you kind of think you have it all figured out there, you know, like I've made it right. And uh, again, uh, beginning again is another thing, right? Like you're, you're starting over again and it does take those similar qualities, you know, the hard work and the long hours and the time spent, you've got to, you've got to dive in again. So <clears throat> I really, you know, my time at Texas state was, uh, there were some challenges, right. We had, uh, some decisions we had to make about certain players and you know at times um you hope that they see why you made those decisions um but you know at the end of the day you've got to do what's right and i always tell kids i make the decisions for the best interest of the program and um, those aren't always easy but some of them are really easy actually and uh you know without divulging many names we, we had a girl that didn't make it to the end of the end of the season that year um, she had done some things and we had documented and as you know right in college athletics documentation is so huge and you know I went to, uh, the last straw was broke where she had missed workouts and kind of dove into why all this stuff was kind of going on and and she did have a lot going in her life but um, we had helped her kind of through some of that and we decided you know we we're going to suspend her and that's not an easy decision for a coach to make either but um, you do those things because you know it's the right thing to do and um she didn't make it to the end of the season and she wasn't happy about it but you know when you have the oops, sorry about that when you have the um uh, the support of your administration i think that's a big part of um your success as a coach too and so my relationship with my administrators is always really important as much as it's a you know you got to be set student centered do need to have that support from the administration as well to know that hey I'm in this position, but I need I need to know that you've got my back. And I think um in this day in college athletics a lot is tipping the scale towards the student athletes. And I think this is great. You know, there's a lot of stuff we could talk about there. But I also think that um coaches in college athletics uh they they need that support too. And and I've always talked about you know who encourages the encourager. You know, we don't always have coaches and that's why it's great to have relationships with people like you Mike because you know, sometimes we need that encouragement. We need that pat on the back. We need to hear that. And, and we heard it maybe growing up, but then it kind of fizzles out. Now we're the ones always giving. And I think sometimes when we, when we, Hey, well, job, well done, or if it's a simple text from, from maybe your sport AD of like, Hey, I know you're working hard keep it up. It goes a long way. You show that appreciation for people, even for your assistant coach. I'm sure he appreciates it.
0: He, he does. I, I know this. We're in a competitive situation and all of us are, you are, you Coaching women's golf, me on the men's side, but I also think we can, we can get that same support you're talking about from colleagues, and people we're competing against. If if you gain each other's trust by talking to each other and sharing information and, and doing those things, I think somebody can pick you up at a low time when your when your program or your situation isn't good. So I I love sharing. You know, I, somebody was telling me the other day on Twitter I have a certain amount of followers, and I said, yeah, and a huge percentage of them are coaches. There's a seventh grade volleyball coach, a female from some Eastern state. I don't even remember where it was, but I loved some quotes she had on there. And I followed her. It's like, I can learn from every coach, every coach.
1: So. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the power of like the social media and the embracing of, of how much your message can be shared. Um, yeah, there's some coaches. There's a coach in Nebraska, as you said that, I think of right away where I just it's, it's awesome to see. There's basketball coaches that I follow. I think um, it's Bob Starkey that's doing a great job. You know, it's just, it's powerful. And I think um, we're all going through the same stuff. You know, it's just a different ball. And um, we all talk about how golf is a microcosm and they do in their sport, uh, you know, of of life and what you're going through. But I think there's a lot to be learned with, um, as you're walking fairways, you know, I think recruiting and stuff like that, the connection you can make with some other coaches, you never know how valuable that might be for that person that day, you know, and how important that might be for them just have a listening ear and, and some sound advice. So I've always been a big, uh, big advocate for our mentorship group that we got started with our WGCA and uh, Courtney Tremble has been leading the charge with that as we got that going. But, you know, we're, we, are our first year um, was the year before COVID or kind of as COVID was going on this past year, we increased it by like 30 people that wanted to be more involved in the WGCA mentorship group. And we've got a lead mentor in each group. And then an intermediate that kind of sets up the schedule as far as calls and Zooms and how they're going to do it. And then you've got at least two others in that group, so there's about four in your small group. But man, the connections you can make, and when we're looking to fill jobs that become open or assistant position here, you now have names at, at the you know tip of your tongue that you're ready to to share with people because there's some really fantastic coaches at the D one, two, and three level that uh, you're not going to hear about unless unless you're around them. Um, you so know, it's been to,
0: it's been awesome. We need to start that on the men's side, and I'd put. Uh, Vince Clark at McLennan Junior College in charge because he would he would run that ship so beautifully and uh, but I love the fact you all do that that's amazing because information is being shared and support is being given I mean that's pretty impressive
1: yeah it's it's huge and and, you know we're starting to kind of even branch out a little bit to create some um, interview skills and kind of talk about those skills that you need as you're going through that process because I think that gets overlooked highly especially as the kids are younger you know we keep getting older but those assistant coaches that are starting in those jobs are still 22 23 24 years old and you know those skill sets look different i mean i was just out at the mall the other day and i can't even find clothes that are like business professional anymore it's <laughs> wild so um but yeah it, it was a it was a need that we found within our organization i sit on the board of directors as our vice president and at the time i was the d1 uh, rep and we started talking about it kicking around the idea but Again, I go back to, and, and I'm a big believer. And you could talk about ideas all day, but you got to put some action behind it to make it work. And we're seeing some really huge benefits from it, and the connections that you know that we've seen are are awesome, powerful.
0: That's great. So you, your time in Texas State was obviously valuable to you, and it kind of set the stage for a, a move to the Midwest that would eventually lead to where you are right now. So talk about how you got the Kent State situation, and then let's let's move into Ohio State. I was in Thailand at the
1: time when uh, Greg took the job at Oklahoma state. And so, you know, it's kind of funny, like the ties that you have, and it's interesting how your, your network kind of intersects sometimes, but I got a call from Donnie on, you know, FaceTime audio, Donnie Dar. I thought this is kind of strange. I'm in Thailand doing these camps. Wonder what he wants, but I, I kind of really hadn't heard the full news that Greg took the job. So he and Donnie was just kind of putting out this like, well, what do you think about Kent state? And I'm like, well, I think they're a great program. I mean, I've, I've admired it. I've seen it start, you know, I was in college when the program started and, um, you know, I know Herb Page was in her instrumental in, in getting it going and Mike Morrow and then, of course, Greg. So, you know, I think throughout the the time that I was in Thailand, I started thinking, wow, is this going to happen? And did those camps, went over to the Philippines, did another camp and then came home. And about two days after I got home, I, my phone rang and it was Herb. And I'm like, man, he's only calling for one reason. I was barely adjusted to some time change and I was probably kind of upside down with some things, but, you know, he said, well, Lisa, you know, I just, I just want to see, you. I want to gauge your interest in, in what you think about Kent state. I said, Herb, let me tell you, I've always wanted to, to lead a program and lead a program that has a chance to win a national championship. And, you know, for you to even consider me and reach out to me, he's like, well, I just got to tell you, like, you know, you're one of the top on our list. So, you know, flattering as it was, I knew that, you know, uh, going through that process and then being offered that job is a bigger job. And each time you you take one of those steps again, you kind of begin again, right? Like it's starting over again and you got to earn this trust and you got to earn kind of the the team's respect. And I think one of the biggest lessons I learned though, being, being there that first year in, in 19, 2019, 20 was our first season together there. Um, I didn't have to coach as much. It was more about managing. And to me, I was used to developing players a lot and, Each practice session involved some sort of instruction, some sort of helping, you know, one player with a golf swing stuff or short game stuff. And these players were like little mini professionals. And this team was, it was very special. Um, You know, we had Caroline Stormo, Pimnipa Panthong leading our way, All-Americans on the team. Kaylee McGinty was coming in, uh, turned herself into an All-American that year with a lot of hard work. Now, I'm not saying we didn't have an influence on how they performed. Um, I was typically asking them, hey, do you need water do you need Gatorade? what do you like? what color do you like? I'll get you whatever you want you know because it was at that point really just you know making them happy, making them want to be around the game, making them making it a fun environment at tournaments um, but man they they really knew how to take care of business they knew how to take care of their practice time this was not something I had to micromanage but so me learning that lesson of shutting my mouth and really letting them do what they were really trained to do already so we had a spectacular fall season, won three out of the four events, finished second at the University of Texas without Caroline. She was at Q school that week. Um, and then we started up our spring season. We were cruising. We won our first two events. Our last f- event that we actually played was the Icon Invitational at Houston. So we had won five out of six events, and uh, we were having a ball. And, um, you know, then COVID hit. So. It was it was a strange time, right? We were heading to Augusta State. We were on the road, and we were about to leave. Um, we'd stopped in Huntersville, North Carolina, to play a little golf. We were driving because we didn't know what was happening in the world, and wow, we might get called off, you know, the road. But no, you can start traveling. So we did, and I got a, a text from our sport AD that said, "Come home after we got done playing that day for a practice day." So we drove home, really kind of just starting to think, "Wow, you know, what's what's going to happen? Are we really canceling everything?" And that was a tough. Tough seven-hour drive home from from the Huntersville, North Carolina area. But, you know, what I do look back on is they took it well. Um, Who knows if we would have won the national championship. We don't know. We like to say we would have had a really good shot at it. But I do know that they handled it with class. They didn't lash out. They didn't take to social media to say, you know, we deserve a second chance. They just, you know, they handled it just like professionals. And um, I'll always admire that, the the level of respect they had for the decision made. Even though they might not have liked it, that they didn't they didn't take it uh beyond that. So um yeah, what a strange year, you know. So we had a we had a kind of strange summer. Um did not compete in that that fall season of, of 2020. But um got some good players in again. And again, you're trying to fill shoes, as you know, when you're filling shoes with all Americans that are leaving, it's hard. And um we got back to more of the development side of things, making players better. We did a great job this past year um, got to the national championship, didn't have the best performances from our top two players at that time, um, out in Scottsdale, which was unfortunate. We had one player that, um, played in that final round of stroke play out there. And, and one thing I will say, you know, we've, we've taken the folds of honor program to every program I've been to, we've, we've had it be part of our program. And it's a, it's a huge thing that uh, gives us purpose, right? Like folds of Honor is a military, uh, tribute program is a, is a program that, college teams and high school teams could carry a golf bag in honor of a fallen soldier or a severely wounded soldier in the line of action. And uh, Tony Biata came and spoke at our coaches' convention many years ago, and I brought it back to Therese. So we started it up there. We had a former wrestler that was killed in action, and uh, Ray Mendoza was his name. And so Ray's bag, right? It became Ray's bag. Every, every soldier we've honored, um, it's always that first name. And it each family that we've gotten to know through this process has always told me, like we just don't want him or her forgotten. And so, for me to to provide that opportunity and to then kind of instill in our younger players, hey, there's something bigger than than ourselves that we're playing for has been huge. So, we did it all through our time at Texas State. We brought the program to Kent State in our first season there. So we honored uh, Ashley White. You know, and, and Trent was familiar with her in, in the athletic training world and you know, that they, they talk about uh, synchronicity with Folds of Honor and, and the ways that our lives have been kind of intertwined with each other. We had her bag at a fundraiser for the Folds of Honor in the Northern Ohio chapter, and a young man came over and he was looking at this bag. It was displayed on top of a, a you know, six-foot table on the par three. We we're hitting par three shots, and he's starting to read her story, and I said, are you all right? He's like, wait, she was at Kent State? I said, yeah. He's like, she was our athletic trainer for baseball. I played on the baseball team.
0: Mm.
1: He's like, I had no idea that this is what happened. So, I mean, again, I get chills talking about it. Um, fast forward to this past season, then Loretta Young, who's a good, dear friend of mine through the LPGA professionals, uh, we honored her son who lost his battle with PTSD in December of 2019. And um, Michael was an awesome guy. He, he fought for his country and, and did it with honor and, and class and dignity. Loved, loved the flag, as, as Loretta likes to tell us. And so she kept telling us throughout the season, you know, you're carrying Michael's bag. And I got to make that phone call to ask her if, if we could have her blessing. But she said, listen, when you get to Scottsdale, I'm going to be there. And we didn't play all fall. And the spring season started. We started a little bit slow. But we started playing a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better. We won at Clemson. And we won our MAC championship. And we got through regionals. And, uh, excuse me, one IU in there, too. So we had three wins in a row. We got through regionals at Scarlet. Ohio State's golf course, two hours down the road from us, we got to call Loretta that day afterwards and said, start packing up the RV, you're driving out to Scottsdale. So she went from McAllen, Texas, out to Scottsdale, met our team out there, we presented her with Michael's bag, we, we ordered two bags. And man, what a powerful moment. So I, I go back to that because Chloe, who who was our individual that ended up in a playoff to go into that final round of stroke play, she walked right up to Loretta after we had been talking to them this whole time, you know, she's coming and they knew, they knew her story. They'd been on a zoom call with her, but meeting her in person. And so she walked up to Loretta right before that day and and she'd been watching all week long. And she said, Loretta, I'm going to win this playoff. I'm carrying Michael's bag tomorrow. And man, like you talk about someone that went out in a playoff and got things done. She walked right over to Loretta after it was done on 18 there, gave her the biggest hug ever. She swapped out everything from Corey's bag because Corey, well, Corey was carrying Michael's bag. She swapped everything out that night at the hotel, and carried Michael's bag. And as you know, the Folds of Honor is a big thing on Monday at the national championship for the women and the men. Um, every every player plays for a fallen soldier, and that day she got to play for Michael and have his story read to the to the people on the first tee. So
0: thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, the Folds of Honor, Dan Rooney, a good buddy of mine, who got it all started uh, way back. It just Pretty amazing that you all yeah. do that and I, I love the fact you're continuing that tradition keep it going mm-hmm. so you did have some success obviously this year at Kent State and then you got a call not too too long after the season was over when was that call
1: that happened uh whew, pretty quickly after the national championship things started to, to kind of swirl and Dan Corn, the AD at Ohio State reached out to Randall our brand new AD at Kent State at the time and you know, he said hey we're going to be posting this job it's for a head coaching position things have been restructured here within our program and trees being the director of golf the last several seasons is looking to hire a head coach and, and we're looking to ask lisa to apply and so randale got in touch with me and Treese started calling me and things started swirling and uh, you know at, within about i don't two week time frame things were happening and um you know again i go back to when trees got on the phone with me and started talking about things and here we come back to Ohio State, you know, and I didn't think it was gonna happen this soon, you know, but dreams do come true, Mike. And, and you know, on my radar, every time I made any tor- any sort of move in my career, you know, I knew my dream job was gonna be Ohio State. I've talked about it, um, you know, even my colleagues out there, when, when the job was uh, finally announced and we could finally be talking about it publicly, one of them even said, all is right in the world you know strami's a buck guy she's always been a buck guy and this, you know but i think you know i told teresa i'm like you've offered me three times right you've offered me as a student athlete you've offered to me be a, to be an assistant coach and now you've made a third offer to me to come home um it's it's truly something it's there's just something special about the people there um and i'm just uh i'm thrilled to be back uh it was not hard the hardest phone calls are when you leave a program to the kids that you're you know leaving behind but um, I always remind them too. Coaches have dreams, and uh, we push our student athletes to have those dreams, and we're we're alongside them every step of the way to make them, you know, realize them and realize what they can accomplish. But coaches also have dreams. We're humans. We're people, um, and I think sometimes you know they they don't see us in that light until we we become vulnerable and kind of open ourselves up to that. But they really appreciate it, and they I think they really then connect with you and understand that it's, it's okay for people to to have their dreams and, and reach for them, too, and their coaches.
0: Well, you know, that that dream obviously is being realized, but you haven't coached a single day as a head coach at Ohio State. So I want to describe from the outside looking in what I'm looking at. I, you're you're a, a former player who's now getting to coach, be the head coach at her alma mater. Is that correct? That's true. You're replacing a legend. I mean, sort of iconic i mean treese hessian in women's college golf is truly legendary agreed
1: i would say agreed but not replacing okay you can't replace someone like okay
0: fair enough but you're you are taking over her position uh and you not only played for her but you coached with her so not very many people get to come back to their alma mater and then still I mean, and, and actually you're working with Therese still because she's still in the world of coaching, but you get to do it at your, where a place where you played, where you were an assistant coach, now you're the head coach. I mean, Alan Bratton has a similar experience at Oklahoma State. That's got to be really special for you, but you have you still haven't coached today, so this is all speculation. What's it going to look like, Lisa? It is the trifecta, I guess, as you say, um.
1: Yeah, it's, it's been a whirlwind and, you know, getting on the road recruiting, um, answering some of those questions, Teresa's, you know, is still coaching, like you said, she's still in this world, she's going to be coaching alongside, we do have a combined program. So Jay and Brad on the men's side doing, doing an awesome job and, you know, we're going to work together, you know, and our golf programs are going to, are going to work together, but um, there's just, there's really something special to be able to say that, you know, I know what it's like to walk in those shoes uh, as a student athlete playing for Teresa. I know what it's like to coach alongside her, and I know what a great team we make. You know, I, I we I make it fun for. Her. I think sometimes you know she gets a little bit um, kind of locked in on some stuff, and I kind of I'm the one that can kind of crack a joke here and there and make her smile. A text I got from her a couple well, I say a couple weeks ago, probably the after the first week really on the job. July 6th was my first day back with Ohio State, and uh, you know she told us it was it was myself and and uh, my old teammate. She's like, "This is the most fun I've had." and in years and that's that's pretty special and, and i don't want to compare maybe what you know her story is compared to what you went through and, and trying to you know make sure you got recentered and everything but for me a big part of this is like let's make this fun again you know um she might be near the end of her runway but it doesn't mean we can't have a great run as we go and make it enjoyable for everybody and i told a couple of girls already i said your coaching staff might be having more fun than you this year and they (laughs) their eyes lit up though you know i said when you walk in the building you hear some laughs going on you know their eyes they 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 sense that energy and they sense that excitement and um you know I'm, i'm just i'm super honored super thrilled to be back there but um there's just there's nothing um greater than to kind of walk alongside someone that you've looked up to you've admired and it's really kind of strange we're about 20 years apart So we've kind of had this very similar 20 year gap in time. She played on tour for about 10 or 12 years. I did the same, you know, she got into coaching as a head coach because there really wasn't those paths back then, but um, it's been neat. And and it's just, um, man, you look back and connect the dots of where everything has led you. I I didn't know Kent state would be a detour along the road, but I sure am glad it was um, because it got me back in into that game of as again, I, I don't, eliminate competitiveness because i put hearts first i think it even makes you more competitive but um when i say that i what i really mean is i know how talented that group was that we had at kent and, and to be back in the game competing for a national championship that's what i know i want to keep continuing to do
0: yeah thank you for saying that i, I think a lot of people because i preach go into their hearts first because that's where their dreams are stored you know you can I think people take that for it's soft. It's uh, you're not really competitive anymore. No, I'm just as competitive as I've ever been. It's just that I've I've evolved as a coach into somebody who understands. Um, we know that we're not doing this to win championships or create tour players or win all Americans. All that stuff is good, nice, byproduct. But we're trying to create and help create better human beings. So I appreciate you saying that because I know you're competitive, but I, it's great to hear this other side that. You just, you're a heart person.
1: Yeah, no doubt when I was an assistant for Therese, you know, and I kind of went down that road of my kind of transformational journey, but I also spoke at the uh, the new assistant coaches deal that we had a round Roundtable at the convention one time, and I had to remind them too, though, it is hard work. Like, I think young coaches getting into it think it's kind of a social happy hour. Recruiting is fun. You can go have a beer at night and just, you know, shoot the breeze with the other coaches, but it's hard work, and as you know, um, showing up early and and being maybe first on property and all that stuff like it reflects back on your head coach as well and I think um, my message to them when I spoke to them is I always want to make sure that I'm making that head coach proud you know what I'm doing out there matters um, but how I'm doing it matters even more and I think we forget that sometimes coaches might be watching assistants and how they work because guess what if you have a really good assistant you'll probably lose him or her at some point and you're going to have to replace him or her with someone and you're going to go right to those memories that you have of, hey, who are those coaches watching? How are they conducting their business? I think, but but hard work is a key success um, key to success when you're when you're in this business. You can't you can't just think it's going to come to you. You can't just think every recruit's going to email you and that's the one you want. Um, you got to be got to be willing to put the work in and the time in. It's it's that that often gets overlooked, I think, in in coaching.
0: And yet, that's been a recipe for being successful in life for a thousand years or however long. Okay, so I have one more question for you before we finish up. And that is this, and I've asked this of a bunch of coaches because I think it's, I like to hear what coaches think about this because we all face this. What's your best piece of advice for a young female golfer who wants to play college golf and then the LPGA Tour? Just if you could really only give them basically one piece of advice, what would it be?
1: Just compete. Find places to play. I don't care if you're playing on the the local PGA Junior Tour or an AJGA schedule, you know, because there's so many opportunities each week. There's like four AJGA events now. I remember when I was like one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was a big deal, right? But I think, you know, that lost art of of competing and playing, getting on the golf course, um, you know, don't worry about hitting seven irons perfect off a lie when your instructor's standing behind you saying it looks good because that's not going to be what goes on a scorecard later on. Um, so that, that big part of it would be just be compete.
0: Yeah. And I think part of the, that's what I miss most about competitive golf was just actually training to go compete. And when you compete, you're having so much fun. And I, miss I had a player
1: that. and sorry to interrupt you. I had a player last year though. She did tell me she, she won. She'd come back from that event. She's like, coach, I got to tell you. And it was her first big win at college golf. And she's like, that felt just like when I leave here after a good training session. Excellent. And that made me raise my eyebrows like she was in it for the right reason. She knew what it felt like to have a good training session, to win a college golf tournament at a high level. And she thought those two things matched. Hmm. And I haven't heard anybody else describe it that way.
0: Pretty good coaching, Lisa. Good job. You got that. You brought her up to a good spot right there. Yeah. Listen, does the work. I want to, I want to say this. Thanks a lot for coming on today. This has been a blast for me. You've given us a lot of things of value here today. And I'm going to only ask one thing from you. And that is that once you've worked a year or so at Ohio State and had that experience, I want to have you back on here just as a sort of a reflection of, okay, this is what I saw going in and this is kind of what have I experienced something. Give me something a year from now. Absolutely. Part two. Part two. We'll put it on the
1: books. Yeah, I love it. And I, you know, I'm sure the the experiences I have coming up are going to be, you know, different than maybe I had even imagined. But yeah, I would absolutely be honored to to come back and it might be even fun to have Teresa on here. To kind of share her experience that's
0: too. a pretty good idea um and i would have had her on here at this time of fr- but i don't want to she's not done she hasn't retired so uh, and that's good to get that word out she's not yeah. out of the college coaching. She, she's still she there. is
1: not done she is coaching she's been on the road she's asking me where she needs to go She's taken, you know, the reins are, are being handed off for recruiting. And she's just like, you tell me where to go and what kids I need to go find. So I love it.
0: I love it. Yeah. Well, thanks again, Lisa. Uh, best of luck hunting players over the next month before we start school. And, and uh, have a great year this year at Ohio State.
1: Thanks, Mike. Again, appreciate, you know, having me on here. It's just an honor to get to share this time with you. And I look forward to, to doing it again sometime soon.